This is the Bob McCallum Podcast, and it is brought up to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. With uh, John Shannon, as per usual, how are you? Doing great. Doing great. We haven't talked enough baseball. Well, we're going to do that today. Uh, our friend JP Morosi will be uh, with us. Is he with MLB? Is, is that yeah, yeah, he, yeah, MLB Network. He's with MLB Network, and he exactly. does a little bit. Uh, the, their their cousin is the NHL Network. He does a little bit of hockey with NHL Network too. So, JP Morosi, when we come back after this, hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere. And anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex. Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Uh, we are back, McCallan and uh, Shannon uh, with you, uh, and along with uh, J.P. Morosi. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How was your holiday? <laughs> Thank you, John and Bob, uh, for the invitation and to be back on the show and, and for asking you about the holiday. It was great. Uh, family trip to Paris and London. We saw a Chelsea match at Stamford Bridge, which was extraordinary experience for our family. Uh, just big believers in travel in general uh, as a family, as, as a teacher for our, our young kids. So we've got three kids who are all under the age of 11. So uh, to get them all on the plane takes a little bit of work, but well worth it. And uh, I do believe travel is the best teacher. So uh, getting them into situations where they've got to speak a little French and, and get around the metro in Paris and the underground in London was very oh. proud. I tell you what, you, you know, you got to use those airline miles sometimes, John. <laughs> that's right. That's, and that's a big part of it. I, I often uh, will look at that balance of miles, all the trips I take mostly for baseball, but certainly some for hockey. And I say these these miles belong not to me, but to the family. There you go. <laughs> so you interrupted me for that, Shannon? Yeah, we, yeah, because this is supposed to be a, a lighthearted. This has to be a lighthearted, warm conversation no, amongst it. friends. Does this is what be. a podcast is all about. That's right. Who said that? You, you put your you put you put your guard down. You shoot the shit. You have a good time. That's what podcasts are all about. Amen. Really? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's in the that's in the podcast manual 1.0. Would you like to tell us anything about your latest trip anywhere? I uh, I tell you what, I had a great time in the Longo's meat department last night. Good. They have ribs on sale and uh, and roasts. So glad. What'd you buy? <laughs> ribs, ribs and, and roast. roast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's right. Right. <laughs> well, in keeping with this this 
inane dialogue. Uh, no, which, no, loose conversation. Which which did you prefer, Morosi, uh, London or Paris? Now that is a great question. Um, Thank you. I give the slight edge to Paris. I do. Uh, we'd been there once before. Our honeymoon was there a long time ago now. Uh, but it was great to be back in a place that we had been before with our kids. And bonus points for the ability to wake up in the morning, uh, get uh, go to your brasserie, get your... Uh, Get your croissants, get your your cafe allongé or whatever it might be on a particular day, and then buy l'équipe and and read a national sports daily newspaper, which is such a unique thing. We don't really have that in in North America on a daily basis for a, we tried. a print product, and so for me to have the in print sports daily, not that I can read French fluently, I I could get the gist of what I was reading for the most part, but uh, what an awesome, awesome occasion to be following Champions League games while you're there. It was a really cool experience. Was, was this newspaper, uh, the, did they cover international events? Like was- They were actually the, so it was about 50 to 60% soccer. And then there was some cycling in there. Of course, cycling is huge in France. There was, and then at the back, I love this by the way, <laughs> There were daily reports and written articles on the championship of the French Hockey League. And so I was looking in the, the summaries to see how many names do I recognize. Francois Beauchemin still playing, which I love. Wow. Any wow. North American sports in there? Um, not much. It was largely European. Uh, there were actually, there were references to players in the NBA uh, th th like there was coverage of the Lakers there's coverage of Rudy Gobert there so there were the big teams in in the NBA and then French players in the NBA were covered as well I find that interesting because we hear so much about uh, expansion to Europe and, and playing games in Europe etc etc and uh, it seems that the populace there doesn't pay much attention to North American sport that's interesting. I, I do think that I think the NBA is big there from what I could tell. Uh, and obviously, if it was during the NFL season, maybe you'd see some coverage of games. The NBA played a game there in in the Accor Arena in Paris, uh, the Bulls and Pistons just a few months ago. So th they're growing the game there. Of course, the, the London series is coming up uh, for MLB this year. And then actually MLB is going to go to Paris in 2025. Uh, so that's that's exciting. So and, and even this weekend, we've got the Mexico series going on in Mexico City. First ever regular season games uh, in Mexico City. That's the Padres and Giants. And John mm -hmm. has already graciously uh, offered to find a way for me to cover the Red Wings playing in Sweden next year. So I'm excited about that as well. Well, Sweden's another story, but um, I, I, it's interesting. You haven't mentioned the NHL. So in a place like Paris, where hockey probably isn't very big anyway, there's very little, if any, coverage of the NHL, right? Well, it was the, the French League playoffs were getting coverage. I did not see coverage yeah. of, of the NHL. And at that point in time, the playoffs were just getting started. So uh, perhaps once the French League wrapped up, then maybe they would give at least some summaries of it. But you're right. This, this was a largely European-focused newspaper and, and, and I, yeah. I was I was struck certainly there was one day where there was a uh, it would have been a Champions League quarterfinal match and this is how 
for me, one of the things I love about reading papers in Europe is their tactical knowledge that comes through the pages. It's much more tactics and philosophy based because they have no access to the players for the most part. A summary of even a, a Premier League game in England or or a Ligue 1 game in, in France will very rarely include any quotations from any players. It's like right. it's like reading a theater review. And and yet the understanding of the tactics uh by the readership and by the and by the writers, it, it would be as if you would open up a, a paper in Toronto and it would have graphics and and lineup charts of the line charts, what the Leafs power play looks like, what the what the lightning penalty kill looks like, how the tactics are 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 sort of intermingling. There was one day where the entire front part of the paper, like five or six pages, strictly was dedicated to examining past matchups in the Champions League between Pep Guardiola of Man City and Tomas Tuchel of Bayern Munich and how they had how their tactics had paired up in previous matchups. You almost never see that level of X's and O's diving into the to the real granular details of sports in an American or a Canadian paper. We're, we're, we're more focused on personalities, maybe. What's a splashy quote? Uh, what adjustment has to get made? Who's under fire? Which player's underperforming or, or surprising? It's much more player performance focused as opposed to the overall themes that you seem to see more in in the, the really? French or in my experience the British press as well. Hey, hey John, I, I you 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 bring up a really interesting point about access to athletes because because I get a sense after the pandemic that access to athletes in our leagues in the big four uh, has been reduced. Uh, it may be coming back. It may be getting better again. But could you ever see us not having access to athletes in our sports? You know, John, it's a great question. And the pandemic, if it, if it was ever going to happen, it would have happened then. And certainly it, it did happen for a period of time where we didn't have any access. And I'll share a quick story. I... Uh, I was actually there in the bubble in 2020. I had to be in in the hotel in the quarantine for a week before I could do that. But honestly, guys, just to be back on a field back then, this is two and a half years ago, I was emotional just being able to speak in person again with managers, players, coaches. We forget how little we knew about what society would look like two and a half years ago, three years mm -hmm. ago. And I think that... I still have to this day when I walk into a clubhouse now uh, where, by the way, masks no longer required, testing no longer required. It's really back to 2019 in terms right. of the, the the routines, at least in baseball. Same uh, in hockey but, now. Same yeah, in hockey. same in hockey. Uh, and and I, I remember just I visited a couple. I visited the wings this year. Same thing. You, you, the, the dressing room after the morning skate is, is typical. Um, but I... I still have a certain sense of gratitude every time I walk in the clubhouse that we still get to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and I do think it, it changes. And I really believe this to be true. It, it's, it's obviously at times um, a strained relationship between players and media or even coaches and media, but a couple things have helped here. Number one, social media. If, if a, if a journalist, especially in the U S because of how, nimble uh i think a lot of our athletes are in the us and canada 
if if you are biased, if you are making incorrect assumptions about a player, if you are taking cheap shots on social media, there's like a 99% chance that either the player himself or herself is on social media or their family is, so they're aware of it. And they can push back. You are mm-hmm. held to account now in a public sphere much more often than you were in the past, I think. And that's that's a healthy thing. You have to be fair because you're you're in there. You're accountable. The other piece is, and this is where I think that we get it right more than the than maybe the leagues where there's no access, is that by having to go into the clubhouse, you have to physically answer to the players. And you also, I think, do a better job of explaining their their story. If a player is not performing well or if his body language isn't good on the ice or on the field, oftentimes if you're around the team enough to say, hey, something going on you know off the field what's sort of what's the story that explains this and often you can give that player the benefit of the doubt because you know the player you know people who know the player if you're just up there in the press box at a soccer match and you're only describing the body language of a player and trying to read all these things about his or her character based on body language that's a dangerous slope to be on without actually knowing the full story so i, I really think that while i really admire the specificity of of the way that sports are covered in Europe, I do think they lose a bit of the of the human side of it by not having the access that we enjoy here in North America. I just don't think that access really means that much. I, I to be honest with you, these athletes all, all go to on an annual basis media school. They know how to answer questions without saying anything, and the vast majority of interviews with athletes result in nothing. You know, you're, you're right, Bob, but I'll tell you what, it, 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 and John, I think John would back this up. It's not the scrum interviews that make the difference. It's not anything at a, a dais, you know, on a press table with a background that has seven sponsors on it. What it is, is building relationships so that you, when you do see that athlete, when you do have eye-to-eye contact with that with an athlete and you're walking down the hall, and you see him again, or he's walking to the bus, and you can say, hey, do you have a couple of seconds? And he will come over to you, and you can ask him your question privately to get the answer that is required to finish or tell the story. Is that fair, John? Yes, completely fair. And I would say, John, a couple of things. Number one, I think players today are smarter than ever. Yeah. I think they have, first of all, they understand the media better than ever. They also have, with analytics and advanced scouting, they have at their disposal more of a common language to share with us their perspective and their preparation. And and you know, John, from having been a part of, on the producing side and on the broadcasting side, a lot of game live game broadcasts, the production meeting before the game, whether it's with a coach or a player, is extraordinarily helpful. And oh, yeah. and you'll often glean things in that in that meeting that you're not gonna in in these days run off to your computer and tweet right away and say, listen, th- this this center has a right wrist issue. So we're probably gonna try to have him take his draws on the opposite side or this side. There that you can then explain during the game as context as best you mm-hmm. can without giving away the specific injury. And and that is Again, a lot of that information is it's on background, it's trusted information. But for us who are privileged to be on the broadcasts, we can help share and tell the story. And if a manager doesn't use his trusted reliever in the eighth inning, 
the immediate reaction on the broadcast shouldn't be, what is the manager doing? What's he thinking? No, he told you at 3 o'clock, this guy pitched two days in a row, probably have to stay away from him today. Don't say that right now, but if you don't see him where you normally see him, that's why. You know That, that sort of guidance is helpful. It informs the viewer. And, and I think, John and Bob, so often, and Bob, you know this from your extraordinary career and everything you've done in, in media and the quality of the questions that you ask, the, the it's on us, us, those of us that hold microphones or conduct interviews or have a notepad, we got to study. If we, if we study and ask a really well-reasoned and thoughtful question, I have found it to be, in my experience, nine times out of 10, that even if the player you're speaking with is not necessarily known to be, quote unquote, great with the media, you'll get a good answer. If you work from the specific, I, I think at times in the scrums, we get to be too general. Whereas I would rather say, hey, second period, that shift. And, and you guys know players, they have an encyclopedic memory of what happened in that game. Shift early in the second period, you, you didn't take the draw on that side and somebody else did. Why was that? You'll probably get a good answer. Because it's a specific mm -hmm. question. And I think it's on us to to see through kind of the the quick takes and the and the way that media works now and to demand more of ourselves and demand a higher level of preparation. If we prepare the right way and you're in there, that's that's when we do our job is in the locker room, is in the clubhouse to get something that the fans will hopefully find to be educational, interesting. Well, respectfully, I disagree with the notion that players are honest and and forthcoming with with answers to direct questions especially important direct questions and so i mean as john will attest over the course of my career i basically stopped having uh active athletes on the show we almost never invited them now when <laughs> athletes that we have on the show uh are retired almost invariably or veteran players. Once they retire, or they veteran become, players, yeah. They become much more honest, much more forthcoming, more willing to talk to you, and more willing to be honest with their responses. You know, interviewing an athlete is much like interviewing a pol an active politician. You're going to get mumbo jumbo, and and nine times out of ten, they won't even answer the question that you asked. They'll just babble. Well, and yeah, I, I don't, not, I don't not, have any interest wrong. in it. You're not you're not wrong on the air, but it's the behind the scenes stuff. For context, that I think that that we still have in North America, that we, well, don't, we have, you know, don't why have do we have that? We have that because historically, that's what was done in the twenties, thirties, and forties. When 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 the newspaper was the 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 source for that kind of information, interviewing athletes and getting quotes from them was something that every editor pushed on every reporter. Get quotes, mm -hmm. and. The presumption was that this somehow made you more personal. I gave right. you a more personal uh, relationship with the team, that you were more important and that what you wrote in its entirety was more significant than what the other guy wrote. Right. I, and I, the truth of the matter is that that, that that never transcended to sports on radio or television, but it did. It was, that's, that's where they got the idea from. Right. Have athletes on. Let's hear what they have to say. Well, I, I would say, too, though, Bob, so right now, for example, if I, if I go into a clubhouse with my notebook closed, this is on background, and I say, guys, new pitch timer, what has changed the most in, in, your, in your experience? And if I get five different players to say, I like this, I don't like this, I feel like we've adjusted well, and, and 
parenthetically, if you look at it right now, you're seeing fewer and fewer violations. And so then you can at least say on a show like this, hey, I spoke with some players and they told me that overall the adjustment's gone pretty well, that they're seeing fewer violations and that the half hour back in their lives has been a good thing. They may not say that on the record, but if they tell me that with the notebook closed, I can at least share that with you and our audience has a bit of a better idea about what's what's going on. It's the, it's the notebook closed moments that I think are often most edifying. And Bob, to your point, what I will concur and support with what you said a moment ago, I wish I knew the name of the person who said this. He was a he he gave a talk about interviewing that I heard once, and I really this stuck this really stood stood out to me about it about what you said about retired players. His quote was, and again, I wish I remembered his name. He said, "It's amazing what people will tell you when they know how the story ends. It's amazing what people <laughs> will tell you." when they know how the story ends. Isn't that, it's it's so true. If, if, my, if my career is over, and to your point, Bob, you've got nothing left to worry about. You, you bring somebody on and say, hey, what happened? Well, I know, I know why they talk. I know why I can get answers and have a conversation that's intelligent and informative with a retired athlete. I know why, because they have, have no one to answer to anymore. They don't have to justify their responses. They have no general manager or coach who may hear something that they said as a player or the say, opposition hey, you shouldn't be saying that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, but, but the other point is when you, when you, and, and I really credit my, my mentor, John Lowe for this, uh, when I was covering the Tigers for the free press, which I did for three years, uh, John said, you have to go to the visiting clubhouse. Your job is to cover the Tigers. I get that. But you have to go to the visiting clubhouse for a variety of reasons. One of which is when you stop by and talk to the coaches, in baseball. So notice I didn't say manager, the coaches, they are vastly underutilized and spoken with way too infrequently because they see all the same stuff the manager does. They just don't have to do a press conference twice a day. And so they actually have in some ways more to share if you know the right time and place to ask them something. And so sometimes you'll be in the clubhouse and you talk with the coaches. Hey, how's it going? You know, what are you seeing here? Hey, what do you, I, I cover the other team. What have you seen from them? Maybe like after the final game of a series, when they're done, they're on their way to the next flight and they can kind of empty out the scouting report. What'd you see here? And they'll often tell you that team needs one more right-handed bat or wow, they need to figure out the left side of their infield. Well, and all I'd, of a sudden, I'd find it more interesting and more, insight. I'd find it far more interesting to hear your opinion. Because well, my point is, Bob, that's informed by the people I speak with. Well, maybe, maybe true. But nonetheless, whether it is or it isn't, you're in there every day. I'm a fan of what you write. And I don't right. mean just you. I mean whoever it happens to be. I want opinion. And I don't get enough opinion. I mean, I, I enjoy a column. A, column. a columnist was an opinion maker. Yeah. Like a guy who gave you his but, opinion. And, see, what we, and what, what we're that morphing doesn't into, exist very much anymore. And unfortunately, what we're morphing into now with all of this stuff is not opinion, but analysis. And I, when I say analysis, is we're relying too much on numbers. We're, we're not telling stories and having opinions about people and about plays. We're analyzing, you know, in, in, in any sport right now, uh, all the different types of numbers that say, well, it didn't work because they, uh, they didn't reach their goals above expected. Right. Well, and, uh, and, that, and, that, and 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 when you have when you have a when you have a finite 
time or finite space, would you rather see numbers or would you rather have stories? Well, and, and John, that's I'd really have a challenge. Opinion. Correct. Or an opinion. Well, that's, that's tell me, a, tell that's me what challenge. you think is going on. Yeah. Right. And that, and well, I think well, that's what creates not only good journalism, but it creates controversial journalism. It creates water cooler talk the next morning. Did was, you see it, what it creates discussion about this right. or that? Well, and and but let's remember this. And this again, uh, you know, this this is part of a, a larger societal conversation that when you think about generationally how we have changed our consumption of of media and and how many papers for example or or digital websites if you want to describe it that way that we all subscribe to because that if we're gonna if, if you live in toronto and you subscribe to the globe and mail star and sun and you've and you've got the papers all delivered to your house and if that is multiplied over and over the entire gta then you have some very healthy media entities that have importantly the resources to send their reporters out on the road to get the insights that contribute to a column let's think about what's what's more expensive to do or or less expensive to do i can sit at home watch the game at home look at the analytics and write an entire story based on the numbers that i see or right. fly to tampa stay in the hotel three meals a day transportation to the rink fly back to Toronto, what, what is cheaper? What is more expensive? And, and what, what do the fans want? If numbers, numbers by and large are by far the cheaper thing to base your story on. And that Absolutely. is what we base our stories on. Well, and it's one, one of the reasons, because we look at, we know that the newspaper business is in, in peril, but we hear all the time about Toronto reporters who aren't going to on the road, who are not, are no longer following the team away from home you know, barely following the team at home. Does that make a big difference to you? Well, sure. Sure it does. Well, as, well, as a reporter, it maybe does. You know, right. in your job, it may, maybe makes you feel that way. But I'm not one of those guys. I'm a guy who picks up the newspaper and reads what's there. And what I want to read is I want to read what that reporter's opinion is of what's going on. Right. I want, a, I want a, an insight, but I don't need an insight into the players. I don't need to know... That it's so and so's kid's birthday on on Thursday, you know that, and that's the kind of stuff you you'll get that kind of stuff in almost every every uh, story that's written. I don't care about any of that stuff, and and I think maybe the newspaper business is finally coming around to realizing, you know, we don't we recovered it this way for an awful long period of time, and that's why we continued to do it. Well, now they don't cover road trips the way they used to. Is the coverage worse? I would say no. I would say there's no difference. So you're you're endorsing guys not traveling. Well, I'm not endorsing it. I'm saying if it happens, it's no skin off my nose. Well, I don't, no, but, I don't you're, think but, but you're suggesting that 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 a reporter who's watching the same game on television and and not being able to see what he sees with his own eyes and seeing it through the uh, the eyes of the Sportsnet broadcast, for instance. Is is covering the game? You, you, I don't. You don't even need to read the storyline the next day because you watched the game yourself. Technically, you're right. I know. But but in every game, there are decisions that are made uh, uh, that are controversial. Many of which will deter, will help determine the outcome of the game. Hopefully, the reporter that's giving me the story is going to address his opinion of what he saw happen. 
I, I now, trust is, eyes on the ground, though. Don't you, John? I trust eyes on the ground. I, I do. Why? And, and again, it's there's a there's a a bit of a there's a bit of a generational difference. There also are are people. There are plenty of people who agree with Bob and and consume media in that way. There are others who really want to hear from the players and want to be able to have that firsthand experience. And then, of course, there's there's the ultimate to where when there are those people who cover a sport long enough and become an institution in in their in their respective market or with their respective team who really have this incredible aura and authority about them to where I remember reading the, the I think it was Ken Dryden wrote the forward to Red Fisher's book and he wrote, wrote about how in many times he'd, he'd lie awake at night after a game with the form that the Habs lost and he'd be thinking what does Red think? What will I read in the morning? And and ask yourself this: How, in, in its own way, now it's different, right? Ken had to think about that at night and wondering what was going to land on his doorstep in the morning. Whereas now, Austin Matthews or Marner can, at, as soon as the game's over, if if he was inclined to, walk out of the arena and scroll through the Twitter reading what everybody. And, and had by the to way, the you don't think out. I'm not sure you the don't. <laughs> you don't think they do that on the bus? They I'm do sure that they, on the I, bus. I'm sure Trust they me. do. I'm sure, but but here's the point. Here's the point. I, I think the interaction before the the way that it used to work, and again, this is re- relatively instructive. I think for all of us, all humans, right now, think about that. Think about how, in Red's case, to go back to a game with the Forum in 1978, that Red would have gone to the dressing room talked with all the players who were not rookies, of course, as we know the famous story. Correct. So he would have talked to all the the people that he needed to, that in the morning what he shared with his readers was the best of what he had seen, heard, his experience of watching that team play for generations. His opinion. And his opinion. That's what you read. his opinion. He was a columnist. Correct. But But I would say, Bob, that because he was there on the scene and because he had time to think about it, that... 30 minutes to an hour after the game was over. That's the golden time. That is, if you're a writer, that's the apex of your day. And, and now, unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, the, the, the tweets as the game is happening become part of your contribution. And do we really need it? it what are, whatever the ratings are for a Leafs game, do we need 80 people in the, in the press box at, at the arena to tell us that, Austin Matthews just scored. I mean, the whole country saw that. We don't really need that. Let's let's focus on the best that we can do by the by an hour after the game or the morning that tells us the story mm-hmm. of what transpired. I I think it's it's an interesting bit of education that I constantly, as someone who's on social media, have to remember. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story along these lines in in the baseball world. I was at the 2013 World Series, Cardinals Red Sox sitting up in the press box, sitting next to me, Tom Verducci, who my friend and colleague now at MLB Network. And you look around the press box. Everybody's got their computer open. They're they're tweeting. It's texting people. I'm sitting next to Tom. Tom, no computer. Now, granted, he's writing for Sports Illustrated at that point in time. And so his deadline is not during the game. He's writing for the feature piece. But he, he has zero, no technology in front of him. He has a notebook and he is watching the game. That's it. That's the job. Watch the game. And and the notes that he would take, he would nudge me and say, John, okay, three and two on the batter, one out, man on first. Do you start the runner here? 
he's thinking like a manager and he is thinking mm-hmm. along with what's happening in the game because he does not have a screen in front of him. And, and I think that we have to remember that, that that is the magic still of what we do, watching the game and focusing on it for however long it lasts. And then the better you pay attention during the game, the less distracted you are. And again, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, but the the less distracted you are during a game, almost invariably, the better the question that you're going to ask. And Bob, I still believe this. If you ask a player a specific question in the moment, especially, they will usually give you a good answer. I, I really believe that. That's not been my experience, but nonetheless, um, we'll accept what you say. Uh, we are past uh, the halfway point. We have to take a break. We'll come back. Um, maybe talk baseball. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you got us started on this, Shannon. <laughs> NBC. Nope, we'll blame you. Podcast Podcast 101. It works. It works. JP Morosi is with us. We'll be back in a moment. Spring is here, and so are the long days, warm weather, and yard work. If you're anything like me, then you know how easy it is to get behind on your spring to-do list. But Factor is here to help. The number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door, saving you time to get the things you need to do done. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. We offer delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles like keto to calorie smart, vegan, or veggie. With over 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Head to factormeals.com bobcast50 and use code bobcast50 to get 50% off of your first box. That's code BOBCAST50 at factormeals.com slash BOBCAST50 to get 50% off of your first box. At the top of this program, I intended to talk baseball with uh, J.P. Morosi, who's uh, uh, joined us uh, and was uh, unceremoniously blocked from doing so. However, we will do that in the last 15 minutes or so they have in conversation. Uh you know, it's hard to have a topic 25 games into a season um, of commonality in any sport, but especially in baseball, whose season is twice as long as anybody else's. And yet, Tampa Bay is quietly writing its own story. And this is not a story that we are unfamiliar with. We have seen this for a decade. Uh, repeatedly, this Tampa Bay team who has one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, who are supposedly on the move every minute of every day, going to some other place, some other city, some other stadium. Um, they are 20, what, 20 and four right now. That's an extraordinary record at any time of the year to be 20 and four, to be at, at the beginning of the season with a team that really, once again, we all ignored, essentially. Uh, you know, we knew that they, we know Tampa Bay. We know that they'll figure out a way to be decent. I don't think anybody figured they'd be five games in front in the in the East, especially the way the rest of the East is playing. Because the rest of the East is it's the strongest division by far in baseball. But tell me, have you analyzed, been able to analyze why Tampa Bay is this good and this good this often? Right. 
Well, Bob, it's it's a great question, and one of the big questions that we're we're discussing throughout the league right now as to why they're so good consistently. Uh, a few reasons specific to this team. Wander Franco has been paid like a superstar. He was given one of the rare long-term deals that this franchise gives out, and now he's back to playing like a superstar. That's important. He is a separating type of a talent for the Rays. They also have some really good contributions from Randy Arozarena, who we saw was so dynamic during the WBC. Yandy Diaz is having an excellent year as well. Low first base has been very good. So there's a of course, of course, they're twenty and four. These right. guys have to be playing right. well. But but the point is too, Bob, that they these players did not all necessarily arrive via the same pathway. They just make really good decisions. They trade the players at the right time. They trade four players at the right time. So who is that? The most important who's word. That? Who's that making those decisions, John? Who's, well, who's, Eric, who's Neander is, Eric Neander is their president of baseball operations. Peter Bendix is their GM, which these are new names from the original Andrew Friedman era. Right, sure. And they certainly have had others who have been a part of their organization that have gone on to be GMs elsewhere. High and Bloom with Boston. James Click just won a World Series with Houston last year. Of course, now with the Jays. Right. But what I what I would say is one of the most important words in the Tampa Bay Rays vocabulary is no. No. Because whenever uh, the high price free agent comes up in discussion, with very rare exceptions, you look at Wander Franco was an internal sign, Evan Longoria, internal sign. The answer is almost always no. And so when you look at players who tend to get hurt or be less reliably healthy in their later years of baseball or the big contract that really hamstrings an organization, they don't have one of those. You mean like Kevin Kiermaier? Well, Kiermaier, he was signed to a deal, and and then you saw, he of course, moved on. And now he's... Again, he's batting ninth for the Jays and playing really good defense, and that's that's the kind of player he is. He was the guy that they were going to build around for a while. He was never going to be a 35-homer player, but that was not, in my judgment, that was not a bad contract. They, they, they paid a lot for someone who gave them a tremendous amount of leadership and also really good defense, and that's, that's a player you would have liked him, for him to be more durable. I get it, but that was not, in my view, a bad contract. The, the part of their pitching staff that – that is really important to me, John and Bob, is what I would describe as option ability. They make really good decisions about how they develop their pitching. And then by not having too many veteran pitchers that maybe are struggling, you never are in a spot like the Jays would have been a year ago with Kikuchi, where you say, what do we do with him? We're paying him a bunch of money. He's not hurt. He's just struggling. What do we do? Well, in the Rays case, if someone's struggling, chances are they have between zero and three years of major league service and they can be sent to the minor leagues and you just bring up somebody else and the, the somebody else is probably about as good as the players you already had in the major leagues they always have fresh arms they never have to tax people to the point of ineffectiveness or stay with a struggling expensive player because generally speaking they have no struggling expensive players they don't but what, like, this week you- Tosh Bradley Comes up, he's sent back down because of a roster crunch. Tosh Bradley is one of their five best starting pitchers. 
he'll be back. That is the effectiveness of how they manage their 40-man roster. Well, but what what is true is that this has gone on for, as I said before, a decade. There have been multiple general managers, multiple managers. This must be a philosophy of the organization. Whatever the yes. philosophy is that they, they use, whoever goes in there adopts that philosophy. Right. I, I'm sure it's mandated that they do that. Right. And what I think the rest of baseball should be trying to figure out, just like they figured out Billy Bean uh, in Oakland, you know, and Moneyball. Um, what, like, what is the secret? Do- what's the secret sauce? Because nobody else has it. Nobody right. else in baseball has the sauce that Tampa Bay has, and they do it on a on a budget that is almost at the bottom. Many times, is at the bottom of Major League Baseball. Well, you know? I, I would say, Bob, that it's it's not it's not just the Rays who have it. I, I do think that their best practices are the kind of pitchers they like. Whether it's spin, uh, the the new innovation of the sweeper, whatever whatever the new innovation in pitching is, the Rays are typically on it before everyone else. They typically and, start it, or or they started it. They they started the trend. But but Bob, let's think about this. Let's go back in recent times. Yeah, the reigning World Series champions, Houston. Where where did their GM at the time come from? James Click. He came from Tampa. Mm-hmm. The previous team that won it, Atlanta, Alex Anthopoulos. But where did Alex work previous to Atlanta? He worked with the Dodgers, who are led by Andrew Friedman, who came from, from Tampa, Tampa Bay. The 2020 team that won it all, Los Angeles Dodgers. All right, I get that. So, so, so there's a there is a the best practices of the Tampa Bay school, if you will, have have been carried out through other organizations. And and when you see a team like the Tigers, for example, when it came time for them to hire a new uh, player personnel director in the realm of amateur scouting, where'd they go? Tampa Bay and hired somebody from there. So, it, so it is a, because they're excellent, they, they very rarely miss in the draft. They don't always hit. But they very rarely miss big. They, they they have done better in the draft than most other places. The Dodgers, under Andrew Friedman, have also done exceptionally well in the draft. You look at their homegrown talent that supplemented their superstar core. And that, by the way, is the difference. That was the World Series between the Dodgers and the Rays in 2020. The 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 foundation was similar. The Rays had built their team in in the way that they have been for more than a decade. The Dodgers with Andrew Friedman did the same thing, except they had superstars on top. Right, that they right. could afford that the Rays couldn't. And who who was the guy that was out there making shoestring catches and, and amazing plays, running the bases, hitting for power? Mookie Betts. The Rays can't afford Mookie Betts. Exactly. And, and Clayton Kershaw was still there. The Rays can't afford him either. And so that that's right. where, that's why, to be fair, we all love what the Rays do. They haven't won the World Series yet because at some point in time, they're going to run up against a team that is structured in a very similar way to them, but that has superstars on top. And and that's where at times they've, they've struggled to beat some of the behemoths of baseball because they're a superstar or two short in the end. 
Yeah. Hey, quickly, can you explain the Brian Reynolds contract to me? I mean, we, we talk about a team that's always struggling and, and, and budgets and everything that's going on in Pittsburgh. And then they sign this guy to an eight year deal right. for more than a hundred million dollars. Interesting. And obviously it's, it's proof much like the Wander Franco deal with the Rays that really you, you are as a smaller market team, you're allowed one superstar contract. You just better be sure about who you're signing. And in this case, the Pirates have had Reynolds for a long time, ever since they, ironically, acquired him for Andrew McCutcheon, now his teammate. Uh, but they were, my understanding was the Pirates offered him around $80 million in the fall. That wasn't close. Uh, the trade request was made. It wasn't fulfilled. And I credit both the Pirates and Brian Reynolds' camp for maintaining a professionalism such that once they showed up to spring training, it wasn't a whole bunch of animosity or a holdout. He just showed up, went to work. And then as the Pirates assessed where they were at with their club, they said, wait a minute, we've got some less expensive players who we believe can play. And so when the rest of your team is solid and inexpensive, like what the Pirates have right now, it allows you to spend selectively on your superstar. So you spend that chip. They got somebody in Reynolds who's an excellent defender, a versatile offensive player. So Great signing, someone who, of course, we talked about a lot as being a fit for the Jays. Uh, but I think in general, he's he's really now a huge part of the Pirates' future. Well, and let's be honest, the Pirates are sixteen and eight. They they I they may have the second best record in all of baseball behind right. Tampa Bay. And this is a, and and like Tampa Bay, they, they are a team that has been economically frugal, um, which is to say, at or near the bottom every year. They have. Unlike the Rays, they have been uh, totally unsuccessful over the last 20 right. or 30 years. Right. Um, and maybe that's about to change. Right. And now showing progress, and, and I'll, I'll offer this uh, hope for Jays fans about the, the consistency of what the Jays have done for a period of time. Let's not forget their GM, Ben Charrington, former Jay. Their mm -hmm. assistant GM, Steve Sanders, former Jay. So those... Those two, Ben and Steve, principally were really involved in a lot of the infrastructure of the Jays uh, organization, player development-wise, that has led to the arrivals of Vlad and Bo and Biggio, who's playing better now, and and John Schneider's development as a manager. So it's it's a good story. There's there's some good Jays threads there to Pittsburgh as well. Well, you mentioned the Blue Jays a couple times here. Give us your take on what you've seen of them. I don't know how many times you've seen them this year, but. Uh, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, they'd be off to a terrific start when you consider how many road games they've actually played, which is the most in baseball so far. Right. And they're, well, they're one of the top records. They are. And and the division, as we know, is is going to be brutal all season long. The one benefit, of course, now is with the new schedule, they play more games outside the division. I believe Baltimore's for real. I also believe that if the Jays get – and here are the two – I'm going to mention the two players that I'm watching most carefully this entire season – the guys that I believe if they perform, this team is in the playoffs comfortably. Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi. If Kikuchi keeps pitching the way that he has, and then Barrios has the form that he's had the last couple times out, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Because I think well, of course, it's the last thing to back slider. into the roster of the pitching round. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, Gossman's Gossman. He has one of the best single pitches in the sport in his splitter. Manoa, I think, will come around. Uh, I, we're already seeing signs of that. And then if Berrios and Kikuchi are are in a really good run of form, this team's going to be fine. I, I I don't know if they'll win the division, but with three wild cards, I don't see 
taking away the division winners, I don't see three teams better than the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, right now there aren't in the American League. If you were, if the season ended right now, uh, you know you'd get three representatives of the American League East in the in the playoffs, and I. There's no reason to believe that that won't be the case at the end of the season, too. Right. And and here's the irony, Bob. Three representatives of the AL East, none of them named Yankees or Red Sox. Maybe. That for a moment. Well, they aren't right now. It's Tampa, Baltimore, and Toronto. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. And yet the the Boston Red Sox, who are in last place, are a game over 500. Yeah, we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of that last year until Baltimore hit a swoon late in the season, though. Right. This is... Well, this is and, a, and this, a continuation of last season. Right. And the schedule will even out a little bit, but again, not necessarily. The, no, the AL right. Central, with all due respect to my home region, proud hosts of the 2024 Memorial Cup, by the way, here in the great state of Michigan. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, we, we are not necessarily the home to the, to the best uh, division in baseball right now. I, I will admittedly uh, acknowledge that. So uh, I think you're getting one playoff team out of the Central, and then – I think that the, all, all the rest of the playoff teams will be from the east and the west. Well, I'd say I'd say the only the only western team to make it probably will be the division winner, whoever that is. By the way, uh, as of Wednesday morning, there are four teams in the playoffs from the east because the Yankees, Baltimore, and Toronto are all in the wild card spot. Amazing! There you go. And Tampa, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary leading, story. So it's, it's crazy. And we we better go here. Yeah, we got to get out of here. JP, enjoy yourself. Thanks very much. Uh, we Merci appreciate beaucoup. the travelogue as well. I know John more than I, but nonetheless, uh, hope you're <laughs> staying home for a while. Talk to you soon. Sounds great, guys. Appreciate it. JP Morosi will be back after this message. When was the last time everyone agreed on what's for dinner? You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and someone is always craving froyo. Well, there's something for everyone on DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our default contactless delivery setting. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BOBCAST23. That's 25% off, up to $10 in value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BOBCAST23. Don't forget, that's code BOBCAST23 for 25% off of your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. We are back. Our thanks again, once again, to John Paul Morosi for being uh, with us. My uh, my cable decided to go out last night, so I didn't have any television to watch whatsoever. Nothing I'm not going sure on. I missed I had anything I, that I missed, was there? No. You didn't miss Edmonton winning. You didn't miss Phoenix uh, eliminating the Clippers. You didn't miss the, you know, loony hot dog night with Joey Chestnut uh, at the Jays game. You missed nothing. He didn't need any hot dogs, though, did he? Just throughout the first pitch. Uh, he threw at the first. Well, but I, I'm sure he. I'm sure somewhere along the line, he walked his way up to one of those new bars and had some hot dogs. Do you do you think he's a hot dog eater? Do you think he likes eating hot dogs? My guess no, is that's the no, last no. thing he has. Well, that's my guess. I I, I have no idea. I, I I don't really think about it very often. But the fact that they brought him into down to on hot dog night was, you know, interesting. 
somebody's idea, somebody's brilliant idea, I guess. Yeah. Um, we have an off night again in the NHL in Toronto, right? Yeah, this the schedules. This second week of the schedules all spaced out because of uh, the the combination of what the two networks in the United States, ESPN and TNT, need not just for hockey but for basketball. So, for instance, uh, Toronto's games are moved over because there's also a demand to make sure that Toronto plays on Saturday night in Game Six if there is a Game Six. Yeah, Edmonton, who won their game uh, Game Five. Uh, their game six isn't until Saturday, Bob. They they have three complete days off before they play the Kings on Saturday night. So it's really spread out. A lot of it has to do with, too, with uh, when the schedule was built, uh, the Lakers and the Clippers both playing home games or at least having scheduled home games. But now the Clippers have been eliminated. Well, you, going to become you, can't have you can't have the same home games on the same night. Well, no. Well, they, they did have... They did have one day last Saturday where the Clippers and the Lakers both played on the same day, one in the afternoon, one at night. But weeknights, week you can't do that. And particularly if right. you know exactly. if you have three consecutive nights, Clippers, Lakers, Kings, that's a difficult thing to do. So they, ha they had that issue. So there's been a lot of stretching schedules out this second week. Everybody has seemed to have an extra day and – um, there's enough games to go around, but uh, the old traditional play every second day in hockey is gone by the wayside this year. Well, I wonder who do you think it favors that that the Leafs and Tampa Bay, for example, won't play after one night off. Like well, they'll, take, favors, they'll take. Two. I think it favors Tampa. Do you? When you Why? when you? Uh, well, I think that they have more severe injuries to bigger stars. When you think that Victor Hedman has an extra day of rest, when you think that Eric Chernak, who has not played since the bunting hit, perhaps has another 24 to 36 hours of recovery possible, and could he make an, a reappearance in this series, that changes the whole dynamic of Game 6 on Thursday night. What about being creatures of habit? You know, you, you, get, you get into a thing where you play every other night and you get this becomes a pattern. And you think of the of the playoffs as being that kind of pattern. The only time that pattern breaks is when a series ends. But here you are in the middle of a series, and at the critical point in the series, where you got a day off when you when you would be playing. I, I wonder, um, I wonder if that's a factor anymore with this generation of NHL players, because it you is. Think they it, don't care. It, I don't think they care. I think we care as viewers because if you're over forty you the routine and rhythm of every second night was it was a fact of life right Bob? well of course we ever a habit and, and, right and but we've seen we've seen series in the last three or four years go back to back saturday sunday we've we've seen two days off we've seen now three days off i i don't think the players i think they manage it better than the viewers do because Maybe. we get into routines of when we want to watch games you know, this is here we are when we're taping. This is the Wednesday night, and there's only two games. And after only two games, there's going to be people going to, into withdrawal that they only had two games to watch. Yeah, like you instead of four. Yeah. Uh, we got to get out of four. here. We uh, will be back again tomorrow. We thank you for uh, watching or listening today. For John Shannon, Bob McCowan, goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.